The German Revolution Selected Writings of Rosa Luxemburg A Workers' Liberty Pamphlet Introduction In November 1918, German workers overthrew the Imperial Government and ended the First World War. What began as a sailors' revolt within weeks saw workers' councils take charge of numerous German cities. A social democratic government took power amidst a situation of dual power. Yet within the space of three months, the revolution would be thwarted and its revolutionary leaders murdered or driven underground. Right-wing paramilitaries, at the behest of the social democratic government, drove back the working class mobilisation. The working class would remobilise repeatedly between 1919 and late 1923, but was eventually subdued. The defeat had enormous consequences. Minimally, a stronger labour movement and more democratic state could have stymied the rise of the Nazis. Had the German workers come to power, then there would have been no Stalinist dictatorship in Russia, and quite possibly socialism on a global scale. A century on, there is still much today's Marxists can take from the study of the German Revolution. New research on the period is available, much of it in English for the first time. And to move forward, the working class movement has to learn from major defeats. As one of the main protagonists in the events, Rosa Luxemburg put it, the masses were up to the challenge, and out of this defeat they have forged a link in the chain of historic defeats, which is the pride and strength of international socialism. That is why future victories will spring from this defeat. Imperial Germany The roots of the German Revolution stretch back at least half a century. In 1871, Germany was unified from above by Bismarck's wars against Austria-Hungary and France, yet was still dominated by the Junker landowners. Under the Hohenzollern Kaiser, Emperor Wilhelm II, Germany underwent a period of combined state-led industrialization, in which a million-strong working class developed. However, the drive for empire within a system of antagonistic European imperialist alliances ultimately caused the First World War in 1914. By the autumn of 1918, four years of war had taken an enormous toll on German society. Food rationing and the British blockade reduced consumption to half its normal level in Germany. About 700,000 Germans died from malnutrition during wartime. At the front, perhaps 2 million Germans lost their lives, with more than 4 million wounded and over 1 million taken prisoner. Social Democracy In this situation, the politics of the labour movement would be decisive. The Social Democratic Party of Germany, SPD, was founded in opposition to the German state. Its leaders, August Babel and Wilhelm Liebknecht, refused to vote for war credits in the Franco-Prussian War in 1870-71. The party was forced underground from 1878 to 1890, but continued to grow. By 1912, the SPD had over a million members, garnered over 4 million votes, a third of the electorate, and had 110 Reichstag All-German Parliament deputies, though the Reichstag had very limited powers. Even in the last days of July 1914, the SPD published anti-war manifestos and organised anti-war demonstrations. On the 30th of July, the SPD leaders, fearing that the party's anti-war stand would get it suppressed, sent two people to Switzerland with the party treasury. The next day, the 1st of August, the SPD-aligned trade union leaders responded differently to a similar fear by signing a no-strike deal for the duration of the war. On the 3rd of August, the SPD Reichstag fraction decided by 78 to 14 to vote for war credits. The minority agreed to respect discipline. SPD co-chair Hugo Hasser presented the collective decision backing war credits to the Reichstag on the 4th of August, although personally he was against the war credits. 
It was an epochal portrayal. The SPD, under the leadership of Friedrich Ebert and Philip Scheidemann, would support the war until the bitter end and impose civil peace on the working class for the duration. By 1917, the SPD had lost three quarters of its pre-war membership. It was still a mass force with 250,000 members. It faced internal dissent. On the 2nd of December 1914, SPD Deputy Karl Liebknecht voted alone against military credits in the Reichstag. On the 18th of March 1915, Liebknecht and Otto Ruhler voted against war credits. In June 1915, nearly a thousand SPD officials signed an anti-war petition to the party executive. By the end of the year, 18 SPD deputies voted against financing the war in the Reichstag, including Hasse and George Labrador. In March 1916, these deputies were expelled from the SPD Reichstag fraction. They formed the Social Democratic Alliance, SAG. On the 7th of January 1917, the opposition held a national conference and was expelled from SPD by the party executive. On the 6th to the 8th of April 1917, the opposition formed the Independent Social Democratic Party of Germany, USPD. It had around 100,000 members, along with 14 of the 80-odd daily papers. It was strong among the organised workers of many big cities, in a good few stronger than the SPD, but its leaders were people like Hasse, Louise Zietz and Rudolf Hilferding, not revolutionaries. Kolkowski and Edward Bernstein were also members of the USPD. Spartacus Group The sharpest tendency within the SPD opposed to the war was the circle around Rosa Luxemburg, which included Franz Mering, Clara Zetkin, Ernst Mayer, Julian Marchlewski, Wilhelm Pieck, Hugo Eberlein, Leo Jürgisches, Kate Dunker, Hermann Dunker and Karl Liebknecht. In spring 1915, despite Luxembourg's arrest and Liebknecht's conscription into the army, they published the newspaper Die Internationale, and Liebknecht's leaflet, The Main Enemy is Within Your Own Country. On New Year's Day 1916, they founded the International Group, named after their band journal. They adopted Luxembourg's theses on the task of international social democracy and her unionist pamphlet. On the 1st of March 1916, the group organised a successful peace demonstration in Berlin with left socialist worker youth groups. Karl Liebknecht was arrested. In September 1916, they published the first of their Spartacus letters. The group was only an informal network, with no central committee or formal membership. They intervened in the SPD National Conference in September 1916 and the founding USPD Conference in April 1917 joining the latter as an open faction. However, there were no further national gatherings of the Spartacus group until October 1918. The Spartacus group's main strongholds were in Stuttgart, Hanau, Chemnitz, Braunschweig and Duisburg, along with the Socialist Youth Organisation. They took part in, but did not organise, the mass political strikes of June 1916 April 1917 and January 1918. They distributed thousands of leaflets but faced repeated repression. Jürgisches built their network until his arrest in March 1918. Matilda Jakob and others rebuilt the group until further arrests in August. Liebknecht was released from prison on the 23rd of October and took part in the uprising. Luxembourg was not released until the 8th of November. Left Communists The other main internationalist opposition within the SPD during the war was based mainly in North Germany. The Social Democratic Organisation of Bremen, SDVP, led by Johann Neef, had a substantial following in the city. In January 1916, officials loyal to the party executive split the SPD in Bremen. Neef and others, including Paul Froelich and Karl Radek, began publishing the Arbeiterpolitik newspaper in June 1916. 
The paper contemplated the possibility and necessity of establishing an independent organisation for proletarian socialism. On the 1st of December 1916, the SDVB cut off its membership due to the party executive. The executive immediately expelled the entire Bremen organisation from the SPD. Bremen and Hamburg radicals never joined the USPD and opposed those on the left who did. 13 delegates from local radical left groups met conspiratorially in Berlin on the 26th of August 1917 to establish the International Socialist Party of Germany, ISD. But police broke up the gathering and seized drafts of the founding documents. The party borrowed from anarcho-syndicalism, defining itself as a unity organisation, combining party and trade unions. In December 1917, Neef called on the Spartacus group to break away from the USPD and create a separate radical party. In November 1918, this radical left constituted itself as the International Communists of Germany, IKD, and published a daily paper, Der Communist. Revolutionary Shop Stewards The Revolutionary Shop Stewards were a network of trade union militants opposed to civil peace, who were the principal organisers of the mass strikes during the war. Led by metal workers Richard Muller and Emil Barth, the stewards became radicalised through their strike activity and were a thousand-strong network well-rooted in large workplaces by 1918. The stewards organised the first political mass strike in June 1916, which involved 55,000 workers in Berlin and Braunschweig. 300,000 workers took strike action in Berlin, Halle, Magdeburg and Leipzig in April 1917 with Berlin workers electing a workers' council to represent them. On the 28th of January 1918, Berlin's entire armament industry came to a standstill. By the afternoon, 414 delegates, representing 400,000 workers, gathered for a meeting in the Berlin Union Hall, chaired by Müller. They also faced repression and conscription. By the summer of 1918, after collaborating with the stewards during the strikes, the Spartacists were badly weakened by informers and arrests. The stewards, fearful of suffering the same, cut off contact with them. Müller dubbed the Spartacist agitation revolutionary gymnastics, while the Spartacists criticised the stewards as a conspiratorial club. After Liebknecht was released from prison, he regularly participated in the stewards' secret meetings and brought other Spartacists along. Stewards leader Emil Barth organised the purchase and collection of weapons with assistance from the Russian embassy. They were hidden by Claire Kasper and Lucy Heimberger Gottschall, who had participated in the earlier strikes. November 1918. The Kaiser goes, the generals remain. A novel entitled The Kaiser Goes, The Generals Remain captured the outcome of the November Revolution in Germany. By autumn 1918, the generals told their political masters that the situation was hopeless. Kaiser Wilhelm appointed his cousin, the liberal Prince Max von Baden, as Chancellor. He in turn invited two SPD leaders, including Philipp Scheidemann, to join his cabinet, and they accepted. The new government could not quell the anger about to explode. On the 16th of October 1918, the USPD called a demonstration in Berlin. More than 5,000 workers resisted police attacks and broke through police lines to reach the Reichstag building. They chanted, down with the war, down with the government, long live Liebknecht. Demonstrators made their way to the Soviet embassy. A week later, Liebknecht was released from prison and greeted by 20,000 militant Berlin workers. Sailors' Revolt The revolution was sparked by a sailors' revolt. At the end of October, the German admirals decided on a last gasp operation, committing the fleet against the superior British Navy. To Cruz, it looked like a suicide mission. When ordered to sea, sailors from Wilhelmshaven mutinied. Mass arrests were ordered, but the revolt spread. 
On the 2nd of November, demonstrators in Kiel supporting the Wilhelmshaven revolt clashed with police. The following day, USPD member Karl Artlaut On the 2nd of November, demonstrators in Kiel supporting the Wilhelmshaven revolt clashed with police. The following day, USPD member Karl Artelt was elected leader of the First Sailors' Council, a committee representing 20,000 combatants. Artelt later wrote, We held our first meeting in the dining hall of the Torpedo Division. During the meeting, a sergeant appeared, telling us that we should present our requests to the commander of the division. We explained to him that we had no requests, only demands. On the 4th of November, SPD politician Gustav Noska arrived in Kiel. The sailors, many of whom had little political background and would still have seen the SPD as the left or the Workers' Party, elected him chair of the newly formed Kiel Soldiers' Council. It was the SPD's first act to control the revolution. Workers make a revolution. Between the 1st and the 15th of November, workers and soldiers' councils took charge of various German cities, including Leipzig, Hamburg, Bremen, Chemnitz, Brunswick, Dusseldorf, Mulheim and der Ruhr, Kiel, Lübeck, Flensburg, Oldenburg, Cuxhaven and Hanover. In the great industrial centres, the uprising followed a common pattern. First, workers' mass strikes and demonstrations broke out, then soldiers joined the revolt, and finally a joint workers' and soldiers' council assumed control. However, some of the leaders lagged behind events. The Berlin Workers' Council, led by the stewards, held a secret meeting on the evening of the 2nd of November. It decided on an uprising in the capital to begin on the 11th of November, despite intense pressure from Liebknecht to start on Monday the 4th of November. The decision to postpone was made with a slim majority of 22 votes to 19. Only shop stewards were allowed to vote, not the Spartacists and the USPD. On the 3rd of November, a representative of the Red Sailors gave the council a first-hand report on developments in Kiel, but the stewards were unconvinced and stuck to their plan. On the 3rd of November, officers fired on a massive unarmed demonstration, killing eight. The next day, the Berlin workers responded with a general strike. By the 6th of November, the revolution had spread to the major cities across Germany. The SPD executive demanded the Kaiser's abdication in a meeting at the Reich Chancellery with von Baden and General Gröner. SPD leader Friedrich Ebert said, If the Kaiser does not abdicate, then social revolution is inevitable. But I will have nothing to do with it. I hate it like sin. On the 7th of November, Bavarian King Ludwig III abdicated and the USPD proclaimed a Bavarian Republic. The German Empire of 1871-1918 was a monarchy, but with other monarchies within it. Four of its 26 constituent states, including Bavaria, were kingdoms, and the rest, other than the three, three cities of Hamburg, Bremen and Lübeck, also had aristocratic rulers. The following day, the shop stewards' collective judgment changed. The Berlin Workers' Council finally decided to call the mass political strike for the following day. Emil Barth later claimed that the revolution had been directed entirely by himself from the back room of a pub. The shop stewards' systematic preparation for the uprising was critical, particularly their weapons procurement. The Republic on the 9th of November 1918, hundreds of thousands of workers demonstrated on the streets. In Berlin, Scheidemann proclaimed Germany a republic, while the Kaiser was in Belgium, aiming to preempt Karl Liebknecht's call for a socialist republic at the same demonstration. Ebert demanded to be made Chancellor, but was outraged by Scheidemann's behaviour. SPD and USPD leaders held negotiations for the formation of a government based on parties rather than workers' councils in the back rooms of the Reichstag. According to participants, Liebknecht was urged by soldiers to join the SPD-USPD unity government. He finally accepted office, 
provided that it would only last for three days until an armistice. But, after Jürgisches expressed his strong disagreement and the USPD abandoned the conditions of his participation, Liebknecht rescinded. On the night of 9th of November, the shop stewards occupied the empty Reichstag building. They held an assembly, where Müller proposed the election of workers' and soldiers' councils throughout Berlin, and for a meeting of their representatives in the Circus Busch meeting hall the following afternoon. The proposal was accepted. The SPD responded by distributing thousands of leaflets to win the soldiers' councils over to their side. The SPD issued a call for unity in the paper Vorarts, under the headline, No Fighting Among Brothers. Dual Power On the 10th of November 1918, a Council of People's Delegates was formed, borrowing its name from the workers' government in Russia and made up of Eber as chair, Bescheidemann and Otto Landsberg from the SPD, Bath, Hugo Hasse, Wilhelm Dittmann from the USPD. From the 9th of November, Eber had also been Chancellor in the old legal forms, so Eber was the head of the government in two ways, with the same old unelected state machine behind him. For example, Wilhelm Solf, Secretary for the Colonies since 1911, remained Secretary for Foreign Affairs, even under the new council. Paul von Krauss remained Secretary for Justice. The Council of People's Delegates started calling itself Reichsregierung, Imperial Government, rather than Council, from the 29th of December 1918, and would dissolve itself in favour of an SPD-led coalition parliamentary government on the 13th of February 1918, with Ebert now becoming President. The new composite government faced immediate competition from the newly formed workers' councils. Some 3,000 people assembled for the Berlin Workers' and Soldiers' Council at the Circus Busch on the 10th of November, with soldiers constituting a majority. Checking of credentials was cursory. Although the stewards presided over the gathering, they were not able to carry their ideas. The shop stewards had planned to appoint an action committee, made up exclusively of Spartacists and stewards, as the highest organ of the revolution, to move towards state power resting with the councils, not with the coalition between the USPD and the SPD. Soldiers led by the SPD dissented rowdily and threatened to boycott the assembly. Eventually, an executive council of Greater Berlin Workers and Soldiers Councils was elected, with seven SPD members and seven USPD members, plus soldiers' representatives. Müller and the USPD never held a majority, because the soldiers usually sided with the SPD. The old order, shorn of its outer shell, continued in power. Eber established a secure phone line with the Prussian General Groner, so that every night they could review the situation in light of developments. On the 12th of November, the Executive Council unanimously agreed to establish a Red Guard, but was forced to retreat the next day by pressure from the soldiers' representatives. Social Democrats and the Army Top Brass portrayed the Red Guard as a competing organisation and a vote of no confidence in the soldiers. On the 15th of November, SPD trade union leader Karl Legen signed a partnership agreement with industrialists that pledged to suppress radical socialist forces within the unions. The revolutionary left. What did the revolutionary left do in the situation? On the 11th of November, Luxembourg's current formed the Spartacus League as a nationwide organisation with its own central committee, although it remained inside the USPD. Between the 11th and the 17th of November, they had no publication at all. The four-page Rotofana red flag finally resumed publication on the 18th of November. The Spartacists did provide a sharp, balanced sheet on the situation. Liebknecht writes, Unity means to make the proletariat strong enough to fulfil its historical mission. But not all kinds of unity make strong. Unity between fire and water extinguishes the fire and makes the water evaporate. Unity between the wolf and the lamb turns the lamb into the wolf's dinner.
unity between the proletariat and the ruling classes sacrifices the workers. Unity with betrayers means defeat. Only forces with the same goals grow stronger from unity. To chain opposite forces together means to paralyse them. Only merciless critique can bring clarity. Only clarity can bring unity. The socialist government has maintained, or even reinstated, the entire administrative apparatus of the bourgeois state and the old military machinery. Institutions that are nearly impossible to control for the workers' and soldiers' councils. The enormous economic power of the ruling classes has not been touched. We must not fool ourselves. The political power that the proletariat seized on the 9th of November has largely disappeared, and it diminishes further by the hour. The SPD proposed calling elections for a national parliament, which the left understood was a deliberate attempt to derail the drive for working class power. Luxembourg wrote, The National Assembly is an outdated legacy of bourgeois revolutions, an empty shell lacking in content, a supposed requirement left over from the times of petty bourgeois illusions in a united people and in the liberty, equality and fraternity of the bourgeois state. Today, whoever raises a call for a national assembly is consciously or unconsciously turning the revolution back to the historical stage of bourgeois revolutions. He is either a covert agent of the bourgeoisie or an unconscious ideologist of the petty bourgeoisie. Today, it is not a question of democracy or dictatorship. The question which history has placed on the agenda is bourgeois democracy or socialist democracy. Because dictatorship of the proletariat is democracy in a socialist sense. Dictatorship of the proletariat is not a matter of bombs, putches, riots and anarchy, as the agents of capitalist profit consciously misrepresent it. It is the use of all the means of political power to achieve socialism and to expropriate the capitalist class, in the interests of, and by the will of, the revolutionary majority of the proletariat. That is to say, in the spirit of socialist democracy. This assessment demonstrates Luxembourg's political evolution. It was the right line in German conditions in November 1918. It was also an implicit rejection of her criticism of the Bolsheviks closing the Russian Constituent Assembly early that year. Luxembourg understood that for socialists it was a matter of either or a bourgeois republic or workers' democracy. The Spartacists made plans and debated strategy. Clara Zetkin wrote an article in Rotofana on the 22nd of November, entitled The Revolution Thanks to Women. Luxembourg wrote to Zetkin on the 24th of November, proposing a daily supplement to Rotofana directly focused on female readers, or maybe a separate women's paper. The Marxists were still debating the organisational conclusions. In a letter dated the 17th of November 1918, Zetkin also argued against establishing a new party too soon. I think we should stay on the USPD for now as its relentless critics. Luxembourg concurred, criticising an article by a young comrade Fritz Rook and explaining that the Spartacist leadership were demanding a party congress of the USPD. The left centred in Bremen formally founded the International Communists of Germany, IKD, on the 23rd of November. December 1918. Christmas struggles. In December 1918, the revolution went into retreat. On the 6th of November, counter-revolutionary soldiers machine-gunned a legal demonstration in Berlin, killing 16. Two days later, the Spartacists called the first armed demonstration since the overthrow of the Kaiser, and 150,000 gathered in an impressive display of their growing influence. But on the 10th of December, in a highly symbolic incident, armed former royal guards entered Berlin and pledged allegiance to Ebert's Council of People's Delegates, but not the Executive Council of the Workers' and Soldiers' Councils of Great Berlin. Between the 16th and the 21st of December 1918, the General Congress of the Workers' and Soldiers' Councils of Germany 
convened in Berlin. Of the 425 delegates who gave their party affiliation, 292 were SPD supporters and 94 USPD members. The Spartacists only had 10 delegates. The Congress was another setback. Delegates voted for National Assembly elections and against rule by the council system. It elected a new Central Council to take up the national responsibilities previously vested in the Executive Council, effectively confining the latter's authority to Berlin. Christmas Clashes Several hundred sailors from Kiel, known as the People's Naval Division, were installed at the Imperial Castle and the nearby Royal Stables during the November Revolution. The sailors agreed to vacate the castle and reduce their force to 600 men in return for a Christmas bonus. The government reneged, so on the 23rd of December the sailors seized Otto Wells, SPD Commandant of Berlin. Ebert resolved to finish off once and for all the People's Naval Division. Around 70 people were killed during the Christmas clashes, but the People's Naval Division managed to hold their position with reinforcement by the Republican Soldiers Army and Berlin Security Forces. On the 29th of December, the USPD members resigned from the Council of People's Delegates over the SPD members' disregard of the Council Congress's resolutions and its alliance with counter-revolutionary forces during the Christmas clashes. The SPD replaced the USPD members with two new SPD members, Gustav Noska and Rudolf Weissel. Noska was appointed Minister of the Armed Forces. Founding the Communist Party, KPD The situation cried out for revolutionary leadership. According to the Spartacist leader Heinrich Brandler, in November 1918, the Spartacus League had, at most, 3,000 members. However, the Spartacists took an important step towards constituting themselves as a political party on the 14th of December by publishing their political programme, drafted by Rosa Luxemburg in Rotofana. It was quickly republished as a pamphlet entitled What the Spartacist League Wants. On the 15th of December, immediately before the Council's Congress, the Berlin USPD held a conference on whether to organise its own Special Party Congress. The right-wing USPD leaders, led by Hasser and Hilferding, wanted to concentrate on the forthcoming elections to the National Assembly, and opposed holding a Special Congress. Luxembourg and Leibniz denounced the National Assembly as a snare to undermine the Workers' Councils and demanded a special USPD Congress, calling on the USPD ministers to leave the ABAC government. Although the Berlin USPD was considered the bastion of the party's left wing, the USPD's right-wing resolution was adopted by 485 votes to 185. The Spartacist tactic of working within the USPD appeared to have stalled. The IKD also exerted pressure to form an independent workers' party. The IKD had a core of about 50 people in Bremen, with a periphery of up to a thousand supporters, mostly shipyard workers who had been expelled from the SPD. Delegates from some 10 local IKD groups met in Berlin from the 15th to the 18th of December for their first national conference. They envisaged a federated organisation, rejecting centralised party structure as a flaw of the SPD. At this point, the IKD was not committed to unity with the Spartacus League. IKD delegates met again in Berlin on the 24th of December 1918 for their second national conference. Against Neve's opposition, they decided to boycott the National Assembly elections. At the same time, they decided to unite their organisation with the Spartacus League. Karl Radek, representing Soviet Russia, convinced Neef to give up his aversion to joining with the Spartacists. Neef himself was by this time seriously ill. He would die in April 1919, aged 38. The Rotofana mentioned a National Spartacus League conference on the 23rd of December, 
and again in a lead article dated 29th of December. The decision to form an independent party was made on the evening of the 29th of December, although Luxembourg and Jürgisches were unhappy about fusion with the IKD. Jürgisches believed that they should stay in the USPD until its next congress. They chose the name Communist Party over Luxembourg's preferred Socialist Party. Again, Radek played a key role in persuading the Spartacist leaders to support unity. The Communist Party of Germany Spartacus League, KPD, S, was founded by 127 delegates, who met in the banquet hall of the Prussian State Parliament in Berlin, between the 30th of December 1918 and the 1st of January 1919. In attendance were 83 delegates from the Spartacus League, and 29 from the IKD. Liebknecht explained the rationale for the new party, given the situation and the bankruptcy of the USPD. The Congress voted to oppose participation in the forthcoming National Assembly elections, despite the impassioned pleas of Paul Levi and the Spartacist Old Guard. Only Luxembourg's intervention in favour of a commission avoided the adoption of Paul Froelich's demand to leave the unions. However, the party did adopt Luxembourg's programme. Liebknecht led for the Spartacists in negotiations with the shop stewards to join the nascent KPD. The stewards agreed with Liebknecht's and Luxembourg's positions, but saw the majority of the participants in the party conference as having what Müller called an anarcho-syndicalist putschist mentality. On New Year's Day, the stewards presented the KPD delegates with five conditions for their participation in the new party. Renunciation of fundamental anti-parliamentarianism, total parity between stewards and Spartacists on the executive board, revision of the Spartacist street tactics, stewards' influence on the party's publications, and removal of the word Spartacus from the future party name. The Congress rejected the shop stewards' conditions. As a result, the new party was born without a mass base among the workers of Berlin. January 1919, the revolution repressed. In January 1919, the German working class revolutionaries were repressed by right-wing paramilitaries and government troops at the behest of the SPD government. Despite being dubbed the Spartacus Uprising, the nascent KPD neither planned nor organised the events. On the 4th of January 1919, Berlin Chief of Police Emil Eichhorn, USPD, who had refused to attack demonstrators during earlier clashes, was sacked by the government. The following day, in protest against Eichhorn's dismissal, thousands of workers, many armed, demonstrated in Berlin. Some occupied newspaper offices, including the SPD's Vorarts. Paul Froelich later pointed to evidence of the involvement of Argent provocateurs in these occupations. Revolutionary Committee Some 70 revolutionaries convened in the evening of the 5th of January. KPD leaders Liebknecht and Wilhelm Pieck participated, but without a mandate from the party central committee. Liebknecht advocated overthrowing the government. The gathering decided to arrest the members of the cabinet during the night, to occupy the militarily most important buildings on Monday, to arm the workers and set up commissariats. Only Müller, Ernst Dalmig and four other shop stewards spoke out against the planned uprising and proposed that actions were limited to a general strike. At Pierre's request, a 33-member revolutionary committee was formed, including co-chairs Labour Liebknecht and shop steward Paul Schulze. With nearly half a million participants, the mass demonstration on the 6th of January was even larger than the previous day. It appeared as if the majority of the Berlin workers favoured the removal of the Ebert Scheidemann government. The committee took up quarters in the royal stables that had become the People's Marine Division's base, but the sailors decided to remain neutral. The committee reconvened in the police headquarters at Alexanderplatz. 
it decided to negotiate with the SPD government, despite opposition from Liebknecht and Pieck. Luxembourg was impressed by the success of the general strike, and now saw a possibility to take power. Her lead article in the Rotterfana on the 7th of January, Where Are the Leaders Going?, proclaimed the goal was to occupy all positions of power. The first meeting of the KPD leadership with Liebknecht and Pieck was held that day. Luxembourg and Jürgischer urged more definitive leadership of the struggle and clear slogans. In the lead article, Neglected Duties, 8th of January, unsigned but attributed to Rosa Luxemburg by Clara Zetkin, De Rotofana argued that the Ebert Scheidemann government had to be removed, they had to be driven out of power. Although it warned that this must be done by grabbing actual positions of power and holding on to them and using them, rather than by a coup, by storming into the Reich Chancellery and dispersing or arresting a few people. Signalling an uneasy awareness of limitations, the article also warned that the 6th to the 8th of January had highlighted the weakness and immaturity, the shortcomings of the revolution so far. In her speech to the founding congress of the KPDS eight days earlier, Luxembourg had warned that the revolutionary message had still to be taken to the rural population, still around 40% of the total. Big cities of more than 100,000 inhabitants had had only 20% of the total population in 1914. That the revolution must be made by building up the strength of the workers' and soldiers' councils from the base, and the process will be a rather more tedious one than we had imagined in our first enthusiasm. KPD leaders met again in the evening of the 8th of January. Questioning the attempt to seize power, while still a minority, Luxembourg famously asked Liebknecht, Karl, is that our programme? Jürgischer forcefully called for Liebknecht and Pieck to resign from the Revolutionary Committee. A majority passed the proposal over the dissenting votes from Pieck and Liebknecht, and Liebknecht announced that he would not comply with the resolution, initiating a split among the KPD leadership. Jürgischer went so far as to propose that the group publicly distance itself from Liebknecht in the Rotofana. Despite the KPD Central Committee's decision, Liebknecht and Pierre attended the Revolutionary Committee meeting with the shop stewards later the same evening. After many hours of discussion, a large majority in that committee emerged in favour of once more calling for a general strike and an intensification of the armed struggle. Repression The uprising was in retreat by the 9th of January. First the army, now under the control of Gustav Noska, begins its attack on the protesters. Noska bluntly stated that someone must play the bardhound, and you play with matches, you get burned. At the same time, a mass movement develops in the factories of Berlin. Workers called for socialist unity between the ordinary members of the SPD USPD and KPD to end the bloodletting. The unity movement involved over 200,000 workers in Berlin and spread to other industrial centres across Germany. Workplace assemblies elected worker delegations, usually on a parity basis, to demand the resignation of the government and of all socialist party leaders in order to stop the fighting in Berlin. Workers called on the unification of the three socialist parties and new Workers' Council elections. On the 9th of January, Radek wrote to the KPD Central Committee. He argued, quote, In your pamphlet about your programme, What Does the Spartacus League Want?, you declare that you only want to seize power if you have the majority of the working class behind you. This fundamentally correct point of view is founded on the simple fact that the workers' government cannot be formed without the backing of the mass organisation of the proletariat. Today, the only mass organisations to be considered, the workers' and soldiers' councils, have no strength except on paper. Consequently, it is not the party of struggle, the Communist Party, which heads them, but the social patriots or the independents. In such a situation, there is absolutely no question of dreaming of the proletariat possibly taking power. If, as a result of a putsch, the government fell into your hands, 
you would be cut off from the provinces and would be swept away in a few hours. In this situation, the action in which the revolutionary delegates decided on Saturday as a reply to the attack by the social patriotic government upon the police headquarters should have had the character only of an act of protest. The proletarian vanguard, exasperated by the policy of the government and badly led by the revolutionary delegates whose political inexperience made them unable to grasp the relational forces in the Reich as a whole, has in its zeal transformed the movement of protest into a struggle for power. This permits Eber and Scheidemann to strike a blow at the movement in Berlin which can weaken the movement as a whole. The only force able to call a halt and to prevent this disaster is you, the Communist Party. You have enough perspicacity to know that this struggle is hopeless. Your members Levi and Dunker have told me that you know this. Nothing can stop him who is weaker from retreating before a stronger force. On the 11th of January, when the Vorwarts occupiers sent seven representatives to negotiate, they were arrested by government troops, brought to the barracks and shot. The Vorwarts building was then stormed under heavy artillery fire and a newspaper district taken over by government forces. The police headquarters in Alexanderplatz, the other main scene of the uprising, was also stormed on the same night. By the following morning, the uprising had been suppressed. On the 13th of January, Vorwatz all but called for the communist leaders to be killed in a satirical poem. The Loyalist Cavalry Rifle Division was given the task. On the 15th of January, Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg were arrested tortured and killed by reactionary soldiers. Major Valdemir Pabst, who supervised the assassination, wrote in his memoirs that he reported directly to the government and was congratulated by Ebert and Noska. Elections for the National Assembly took place on the 19th of January. They were boycotted by the KPD. The SPD became the single biggest party with 11 million votes, 38% of the vote. But the overall majority went to the bourgeois parties. The USPD garnered less than 8%. The SPD got 163 seats in the 423-seat Reichstag. The USPD, 22 seats. A coalition government was formed, led by the SPD, with the bourgeois liberals of the Catholic Centre Party and the German Democratic Party, of which the pre-war progressives were a large component. Ebert became president and Philipp Scheidemann, SPD, Prime Minister, later Chancellor. Last phase. Workers' struggle continued throughout Germany, as did the repression. On the 4th of February 1919, government troops and Freikorps units crushed the Bremen Council Republic. Between the 3rd and the 16th of March, a strike wave under the leadership of the stewards led to armed confrontations. From the 9th to the 16th of March, a state of emergency was declared. Government troops and Freikorps units suppressed the workers. About 2,000 people were killed, 1,600 arrested. KPD chair Jürgisches was killed on the 10th of March. For two months, there was widespread unrest in Upper Silesia, the Ruhr Valley, Württemberg, Magdeburg, Leipzig and other regions and towns, which was repressed by the military in late April. Between the 8th and the 14th of April, the Second General Congress of the Workers and Soldiers Councils of Germany was held in Berlin, but it did not rally the workers to continue to fight. Munich the events in Munich closed this phase of the German Revolution. In November 1918, a coalition government of USPD and SPD socialists, headed by Kurt Eisner and backed by the Soldiers' and Workers' Councils, proclaimed a republic. However, elections to the Bavarian State Assembly on the 12th of January 1919 demonstrated that the government did not enjoy majority support. Eisner decided to step down, 
and was on his way to inform the State Assembly, which met for the first time on the 21st of February, when he was assassinated in Munich by a reactionary soldier. The State Assembly convened on the 18th of March and gave full legal authority to a cabinet under SPD leader Johannes Hoffmann. On the 7th of April, an ad hoc committee of the left seized power in Munich and proclaimed the Soviet Republic of Bavaria. KPD leader Eugene Levine dubbed the new regime the Pseudo-Soviet Republic. Reactionary forces launched their first military attack on the Bavarian Council Republic on the 13th of April, but were repulsed by the KPD's Red Guards. KPD leaders took over the Council Republic's administration, and it became known as the Second Council Republic. On the 1st of May, government troops and Freikorps units marched into Munich and crushed the Council Republic. Over 1,000 militant workers were killed. Anarchist Gustav Landauer was murdered. Levine and other KPD leaders were subjected to a show trial. In court, Levine famously defied the threat of the death penalty, stating, We communists are all dead men on leave. In July, Levine was executed for his role in the Bavarian Council Republic. The anarchist Eric Mussam was sentenced to 15 years of confinement in a fortress. There would be other big workers' radicalisations and mobilisations, especially in March 1920 and in late 1923. But German capitalism and the core of its state machine had survived the first great wave of revolution and would survive the events of 1920 and 1923 too. Why is the German Revolution relevant today? Why is the German Revolution relevant today? First, it illustrates the extent and limits of workers' revolutions. On the positive side, it brought an end to the First World War and deposed the monarchy. The inauguration of a democratic republic, including votes for women for the first time, were substantial gains for the German working class. However, the revolution was, at most, political change rather than social transformation. It had the potential for much more because of the workers' own councils. The German Social Democrats and their liberal bourgeois allies failed to purge the government apparatus of monarchists and far-right nationalists. They left bourgeois property intact and reinforced bourgeois rule. They limited their own scope for action and ultimately signed their own death warrant by failing to mobilise against the Nazis' rise to power. The German Revolution is relevant today because of what it tells us about political actors in revolutionary situations. The three months tested all the political forces on the left and found them wanting. Social democracy played a counter-revolutionary role. Their leaders were far more willing to license and encourage massive violence against former comrades than anyone could have imagined. It was a warning about how other social democrats would behave in the future. The USPD were centrists, torn between reform and revolution, and unable to articulate an alternative way forward. The IKD were ultra-left, with no strategy for winning the working class for socialism. The revolution broke the militant shop stewards movement. Its best elements from the USPD left, including Müller and Dalmeg, eventually joined the KPD. The Spartacists how should we evaluate the Spartacists? They played a heroic role in opposing the war, for which they faced harassment and imprisonment. They intervened in the anti-war strikes and in the November Revolution, but did not lead events. In the aftermath of the 10th of November, Luxembourg and Liebknecht provided unsurpassed clarity on the political situation particularly the survival of the bourgeois state apparatus intact apart from its figurehead. They were absolutely clear about the role of the SPD in ensuring bourgeois rule. The Spartacists were right in their critique of the National Assembly, but also that in the circumstances the Communists should have fielded candidates to make socialist propaganda. 
they have a right to advocate work in the existing unions. Their sharp critique of the USPD, the stewards, the IKD and the conduct of the councils was entirely necessary in the situation. They also provided the revolutionary socialist methodology to guide the working class movement. To be revolutionary means to always call things by their name. These words of Lasalle are more important today than ever. And the indecision, half-heartedness and haziness can put the revolution at risk. Everything that contributes to clarity, every disclosure of the truth, only fuels its fire. Clarity, the most severe, the most determined struggle in the face of all attempts at hushing up mediation and sogginess, the concentration of the revolutionary energy of the masses and the creation of appropriate organs for their leadership in struggle, those are the most burning tasks of the next period. Critique Did the Spartacists overestimate the possibilities for workers taking power in January 1919? Historian Otto Karl Lubin argues, quote, Rosa Luxemburg's illusionary and unrealistic evaluations of the mood of the masses her existing tendency towards illusions on the proletariat's readiness for action assumed extreme proportions during the January 1919 uprising. She had largely lost contact with the masses. In my opinion, Rosa Luxemburg's balance sheet of the January uprising or the reigns in Berlin, 13th of January, is one of self-deception, helplessness and a flight into an almost completely determinist picture bereft of any hint of self-critical analysis. This is too harsh. At least for a few days, Luxembourg was at least ambiguous on the idea of an attempt to seize power in January 1919, which could only have been premature. Her assessment of the situation was not as sharp as the balance sheet drawn by Radek on the 9th of January. But she also reminded her comrades repeatedly that conditions were unripe, and could only be made ripe by building the strength of the workers' councils from below. Liebknecht and others like Pieck were far worse, lacking any sense of the balance of forces, any sober appreciation that the revolutionaries remained very much a minority current within the German working class movement. In short, they did not follow their own Marxist approach, to start with the world as it is, and then to draw political conclusions from this reality including the relative strength of their own forces. The Party In the recent history of the German Revolution, William Peltz criticises those on the modern left who fought the German revolutionaries for not building a Leninist vanguard party. He claims that the German Revolution failed for more complex reasons that can be answered by the lack of a Bolshevik-style party. Whatever the complexities, the German working class showed huge revolutionary potential in 1918 to 1923. And, to emancipate itself, even the strongest and most combative working class needs to develop within its ranks a class-conscious leadership. Even the best of the revolutionaries, grouped around Luxembourg, failed to provide the necessary leadership to transform the situation for workers' power. The contrast with Russia in 1917 is stark. The strategy and tactics of the Bolshevik party, well-rooted in the working class, made the difference between defeat and victory. For example, they enabled the Bolsheviks to navigate a premature upsurge by a section of the working class, the July days, with much less disarray and damage than the KPD suffered in January 1919. The KPD could have been built through better tactics in January 1919, pursuing joint struggles where possible with Social Democratic and USPD supporting workers, both on the economic front and at the level of democratising the state. Participation in the reformist unions and standing candidates in the National Assembly elections would have certainly have expedited its growth. As Luxembourg's programme stated, the revolutionaries could not take power without the backing of the majority of the working class. In the absence of such support, 
they needed what were later known as united front tactics, namely joint struggles for common goals by revolutionary and reformist workers. However things looked to the mostly very young and impatient members of the KPDS in 1919, neither the USPD nor the SPD were in fact rotting corpses then. They still contained hundreds of thousands of workers. In fact, they were growing rapidly, as hundreds of thousands of previously politically inactive workers came into political life, and most of them joined what they saw as the biggest, so maybe most likely to be effective, force proclaiming general socialist aims. The USPD had about 300,000 members at the end of January 1919, while the SPD had over a million in March that year. The fact that the KPDS was overwhelmed by the impatience and even romanticism of its young and inexperienced members in 1918-19 to was linked to the fact that it set about organising and training itself as a coherent collective force so very late. Luxembourg had been one of the earliest critiques of the Bernstein revisionist current within the SPD in the late 1890s. Her Social Reform or Revolution, 1899, skewered those who argued that it was best to focus on immediate reforms, explaining that this meant the demise of the final goal of socialism, and destroying the compass directing day-to-day struggles. From 1910, at least, that is, much earlier than Lenin, she became a severe critic of the centrist current around Karl Kautsky, which rationalised the SPD's increasingly reformist parliamentary practice and its allies in the bureaucratic trade unions. Yet, Luxembourg and her co-thinkers did not draw the necessary political and organisational conclusions about the state of the labour movement. They did not organise a faction within the SPD. They had no publication of their own until late 1913, and after that only sporadically. They did not organise themselves for waging the class war either within the SPD or in the workplace. They did not create an organised force that during the war could have assembled, educated and trained disillusioned social democratic workers from the SPD, the USPD or the stewards for the struggle for working class socialism. They did not create a compact and grounded cadre that could have guided the 1918-19 revolutionary upsurge to victory. It was their fatal mistake. It might be a cliché to argue that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. For the sake of today's struggle for socialism, every activist should study the lessons of the German Revolution. Paul Vernatsky Further reading Pierre Bruet, 2005 the German Revolution, 1917 to 1923. Although first published in French as long ago as 1971, it remains the best account of the events from the war until 1923. John Riddle, 1986, The German Revolution and the Debate on Soviet Power, Documents, 1918 to 1919. Many key documents from the war and 1918-19, to good translations and helpful footnotes. Gabriel Kuhn, 2012, All Power to the Councils, a documentary history of the German Revolution of 1918-1919. to A range of Spartacist and Stewart's texts, including material from outside Berlin. Good translations, sympathetic to the left's. Norman Laporte and Ralph Hofroger, 2017, Weimar Communism as Mass Movement, 1918-1933. Otto Karl Lubin, The Role of the Spartacist Group After the 9th of November, 1918 and the Formation of the KPD. Gerhard Engel, The International Communists of Germany, 1916-1919. Two very good chapters on the origins of the Communist Party, as well as other recent scholarship. Otto Karl Lubin, 2004. 
Rosa at a loss, the KPD leadership and the Berlin uprising of January 1919, Legend and Reality. Revolutionary History, Volume 8, Number 4. Sharp critique of Liebknecht and Luxembourg during January 1919. Ralph Hofrogger, 2015, Working Class Politics in the German Revolution. Richard Miller, The Revolutionary Shop Stewards and the Origins of the Council Movement. Recent account of working class militant organising during the war and revolution. Max Schachmann, 2018, In Defence of Bolshevism. This collection, edited and introduced by Sean McMahona, includes a big article by Schachmann on Lenin and Luxembourg, Trotsky's article, Hands Off Rosa Luxembourg, and Luxembourg's own 1906 article, in which she clearly aligns herself with the Bolsheviks rather than the Mensheviks. Rosa Luxemburg's writings are engaging and sharp. There are many selections in English, and much of their content is on the Marxist internet archive. Verso has published three volumes so far of her Luxemburg complete works in English, with many new translations. There is an eight-volume collected works in German, but it omits a lot of Luxemburg's writings. The best biographies are by Peter Nettle and Paul Froelich.